Well, good morning. Um, happy Mother's Day. We're so glad you're here with us today, whether you're in person here or online. Thank you for being here. Um, if you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you. We're so glad to have you here. And if you're newer to Faithbrook, we would love for you to take a blue connection card from the seat pocket in front of you, um, fill that out and drop it in the giving box on your way out. Or if you're online, you can do that at faithbrook.church forward slash connect, um, where we can get to know you a little bit better. Um, one of the best ways for you to stay connected here at Faithbrook is through the Church Center app. If you don't have it, it looks like this. It's on your smartphone, super easy to download. I walked someone through it yesterday, it wasn't hard. Um, you can see all kinds of upcoming events, especially the fun ones we have for this summer, including our bikes and barbecue. Uh, so go ahead and get that app. If you don't have it, you can take your phones out now, I allow that, that's all right. Um, download it, and if you already have it, um, good for you. It's a great way for you to check in your kids with ease. You can give there quickly, um, and also you can see different life groups and things that we have um, at Faithbrook. So if you do already have it, we are going to ask that you help us out with some spring cleaning and maintenance. So you can edit your profile and even your picture, which is a great way for us to connect with you and put a face to your name. So you can put your kids' faces, um, pictures on there. It's only seeable by Faithbrook um, and people who have the uh, uh, administrative powers, so you don't have to worry about that being out there. But you can change your profile picture and um, then you can also update uh, ages and things like that. So um, go ahead and do that if you already have it. In a moment here, we're going to hear from uh, Pastor Jim on our part two series of Asking for a Friend. But before that, here is a nice little tribute to you moms. Today is a beautiful day of celebration, a day to honor the women who've shaped us, nurtured us, and walked us through life it's a day to say thanks to all the moms. Moms with toddlers tearing through the house and moms whose babies have moved away. Moms who are doing this all by themselves and moms who loved a child in need. Moms who have suffered unimaginable loss and moms whose children are moms themselves. For all the times your love made things better, and the moments your wisdom made things clear, for the way you lived as an example, so we could see Jesus through you, for each and every memory that has lit the path we walk, we say thank you. Whether this is a day of celebration, reflection, or heartache, know that you are loved. Happy Mother's Day. Hey, let's hear it for our moms. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, moms. Good to have you here today. We wouldn't be here unless it was for our mothers. Well, welcome to Faithbrook. I'm Jim. So glad that you are uh, worshiping with us today. Maybe you're online. Maybe this is your first, second time. Welcome back. Uh, spring has arrived, and we're excited about what God's doing in us and through us, and uh, we're going to be pressing on. Well, some of you know that uh, I'm not originally a Minnesotan. You could probably hear that through my, my tone. Uh, before we came to Minnesota, my wife and I, Terry, were ministering of all places, Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
And while we was down there, we came upon our 10th wedding anniversary. We wanted to do something special. Well, just a couple hours away from Albuquerque is Durango, Colorado, one of the most beautiful places in the nation. And we happened to have a red uh, four-door Jeep Cherokee. Man, I love that vehicle. And we wanted to take that up to Durango and uh, look around our 10th anniversary. So we got up there and and people were sharing that you need to go to Oray. And since you've got a, a Jeep, you can do what they call the Alpine Trail. It is a 63-mile Jeep trail up through the mountains from Silverton, Colorado, up to Oray, Colorado. Oray is like one of the most beautiful places in the nation. It's like heaven on earth. Some people call it a, kind of a mini Switzerland tucked away in this little valley. But if you really want to be adventurous, you take this Alpine Trail. So we were game. We had a Jeep, right? So we filled up the Jeep with gas, and we took off. And up through the mountains, it was beautiful. There was waterfalls and some old abandoned mines. And there was a couple other Jeep people up there. We waved to them, switched backs. And eventually, we got way above, like, tree line, trying to get over this pass. Well, all, all the way up there, there was a couple of signs. You're on the, you're on the trail. But as soon as we kind of got up there where nobody else was, above the trees, the, the trail just kind of disappeared. And there wasn't any signs. All we could see was these kind of different paths and trails. And we started scratching our head. And which path should we take? Now, mind you, this was before GPS. And this was before cell phones. Some of us can still remember that, right? All we had was like a, a paper map. And there were some couple of dots, and we we're looking, and it was like, I don't know, but there's a couple of forks and trails. So we said, well, surely these, these paths are going to lead to Oray, and we'll get there eventually. Let's just, just pick one. Let's, let's pick that one. That one looks like it's been a lot of Jeep trails on that one. And we went for it. Well, I don't know, 30, 60 minutes later, that was the wrong path. We found ourselves in deep trouble. We were in some very sketchy, treacherous terrain. In fact, a couple times I asked Terry to get out of the vehicle because this was so steep that the Jeep could maybe uh, roll over, and there was nobody out there. Frankly, it got a little scary for us. Uh, were we ever going to find uh, this Ore, this, this beautiful place? Well, we became very disappointed and realized that all paths don't lead to Orway, Colorado. We were in trouble. Well, that brings us to our next question of our series called Asking for a Friend. Sometimes questions are kind of uh, awkward or embarrassing. Uh, some can be controversial. So we'd like, oh, I'm asking for a friend, but really I'm really asking for myself because I would like to know. And a lot of these questions came from some of the words that Christ himself would say. And sometimes Christ would say some provocative uh, statements and truths that really set people back. And one of those statements he said, and in, in John recorded in chapter 14, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father, speaking of God the Father, that includes heaven except through me. I, I am the way. I, I am the truth. And I am the life. Well, a lot of people, especially the Jewish people, they kind of repelled to that and say, you're, you're saying that you're like God? You're like God himself? And we, if we have to believe in you, aren't you the guy that just kind of grew up in Nazareth over there? And you really want us to, you got that kind of a confidence that you're saying you're God? And a lot of times they kind of push back from that. 
Uh, later on, Jesus would also say, you know, if you reject me, you're rejecting the one who sent me, speaking of God the Father. And they didn't appreciate that either. And so for Jesus to say, you know, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the light. If you want to get to God, know God, and get to heaven, then you're going to have to come through me. Sometimes that doesn't always sit very well. And so it compels us to this question of the day. Why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Aren't there other paths to get to God and get to heaven? And a lot of times we struggle with that pronunciation that the God is the only way. Jesus is the only way to the truth, the truth in, in life in heaven. It just comes off so restrictive. It just comes off so limited. It comes off so absolute. Some people might interpret it as, as mean to say that you're the only way to get to God and to get to heaven. Now, this statement or this even this question shouldn't um, surprise us because we live in a culture that kind of has in, embraced the, the mindset of a postmodern relativism thinking. We talked about this last week about there's a couple of uh, viewpoints, worldviews that we all kind of live with, and probably the most popular is the postmodern relativism. In other words, you know, what your truth is the truth, as long as you are sincere about it, that we can all have different truths and we all kind of line up t together. And this is this relative, relativism kind of thinking or worldviews. And when it comes to religion and God, then, you know, all paths kind of lead to the big guy up there and everything's going to be okay. And this has kind of been uh, preached to us in different ways. Some of the most iconic people in our society believe in this. One of them is Oprah Winfrey, and she was known for saying this. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. And she says, actually, there are many diverse paths to lead to God. You know, Oprah, uh, she's such a theologian uh, when it comes to God and religion. But, you know, who could argue with Oprah? Isn't she one of the most kind, successful, generous people? So when she says there's many paths, everybody's just like, oh, I, I believe that. That kind of makes sense, right? And Oprah is kind of bought into what we call uh, religious pluralism, that there are just kind of a blur of what uh, man's way to attempt to get to God. And so religion pluralism just kind of incorporates that there's more than one authority when it comes to God or maybe even multiple gods. And, and as you think about it, and maybe it's true. You're like, you know, when I look at other world religions, they all have a lot of commonalities Right? Most world religions are, are trying to be generous and kind to the poor. Uh, most world religions have some kind of a text, sacred text. Most religions uh, uh, believe in prayer and maybe fasting and being devoted. They all kind of have these uh, commonalities, and maybe, maybe she's right. Maybe they all kind of lead to one God up, up there somewhere. And if we were really honest, sometimes it's hard to say, I believe that God is the only way. When, when we might work with people, we might have neighbors that um, live by a different faith, a different religion. And most of the time, these people are very good people. They're very sincere and, and they're maybe helpful and, and we become friends with them. So to say, hey, there's only one way, that doesn't feel good, right? And a lot of Christians kind of have adopted this 
postmodern progressive kind of thinking that everything kind of blends together. In fact, there was a survey that asked Christians, Bible kind of believing Christians, hey, do you believe there's more than one God and more one way than, than Jesus get to God? Over 60% said, yes, we, we believe that there's more than one way to get to God. Well, is that exactly right? You know, for someone like me to say, I believe that Jesus is the only way, that just seems so um, not nice, right? Some people might even say, that sounds pretty mean. How dare you? And that really begged the question last week that we wrestled with is that why is there so much division between the world and the church? Because sometimes there are some contrasts. There are some things that are hard to embrace and wrestle with. Sometimes we are, are more attracted to this ideal that maybe all religions are equal. Have you ever seen this bumper sticker, the coexist bumper sticker? Uh, you know, there is this indication that isn't everything equal? Some churches are, are flying the rainbow flag, different colors, different lifestyles. Everything is accepted. Come, come on in. But really, uh, really leans into that postmodern viewpoint that there can be an utopia, that we don't really look at distinctions, that, that they're all kind of blended together. We kind of live in this religious blur by our feelings or our thinking. Now, I want to submit to you that this shouldn't surprise us because if you look at the human heart, you'll know that the human heart always has kind of a nature that they kind of all want to set their own course. They want to find their own path. And for someone to say, no, you need to follow this path. This is the truth. This is the way. We just kind of have a, a natural uh, inclination to kind of push that away. Uh, frankly, if we looked at ourselves, we, we kind of want to set our own moral course and, and justify things so we can be our own God, if you will. And it's kind of like if we were going up to that Alpine Trail, if we would have had a compass, and that compass would have said, this is, this is the north, uh, you need to follow that mark on that compass, that would have helped us greatly. But sometimes human nature is like, I don't want a mark that says this is true north. In fact, we'd like to take a hold of that, that true north mark and bend it to, to our what is north, what is true, what is right. It's kind of the human nature just kind of say, hey, we're going to make our own moral decisions. We don't need a Bible. We don't need a God. We can do it better. We're smart. And it really kind of feeds into all the way to the human heart that started in Genesis. Because if you read the account in Genesis, that God said to Adam and Eve, I love you. I, wanna, I want you to love me back by choice, not because you're, you have to. And so I'm, of all this beautiful garden, I'm put one tree the tree of life, the good of knowledge. And you have a choice. You eat from that tree, then there's going to be a curse. There's going to be a change in the whole dynamics of humanity. And so the Bible tells us that the, the serpent came to them and kind of tempted them and said, oh, you know, that, that God, don't, don't trust him, right? You, look how good that tree looks. Look at that fruit. Why don't you take of that? And then you'll be like God and you'll see what he sees and you can set your own course. And so the Bible tells us that's exactly what Eve did and Adam partook of it. And ever since then, there's been this, um, this bent towards us to say, you know, I don't, I don't like tell, people telling me what to do. I want to do my own thing, including God. So this, this moral pluralism or this religious pluralism just kind of looks good on the surface, 
makes us maybe even do life a little bit easier, right? Because everyone can kind of coexist. But if you do a little bit of deep dive, is it true that all religions are the same? All philosophies are the same? That we can all be inclusive? Well, eventually it breaks down. Mark Clark, in his book, The Problem with God, said, it is impossible to find a worldview that isn't exclusive in some way. In fact, by trying to be inclusive, they actually become exclusive. In other words, if your religion says, yeah, we believe in this, well, then if you don't just uh, believe what everyone believes in, then you're excluded. If you do a little bit of research on different world religions, they're not all the same. They're not all coexisting and inclusive. You take Judaism. Judaism is not going to accept Christianity. Judaism's believe that the Messiah is still coming, and they need to practice their diligent sacrifices and petition to appease God, uh, and, and they don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. However, Christians, like, yeah, Jesus proved himself as the Messiah. All of a sudden, there's a difference. You take a, a big world religion that is Islam. They don't, put, they don't believe in inclusion, right? They believe there's a true God, Allah, and there's only one true prophet, and that's Muhammad. And there's only one true sacred text, and that's the Koran. And then you need to participate in the five, six disciplines if you ever have a shot to have some kind of heaven in front of you. You look at other religions like Buddhism. Buddhism is, is very popular. It's close to Zen, right? Because Buddhism doesn't even believe in a heaven, uh, the, the afterlife. Uh, their, their whole belief is if you can master your thoughts— if you can uh, practice meditation and discipline in your mind, that you can push away any kind of worries or desires. And the highest level of, of living is, is a place in your mind called nirvana, that you are released for any, any kind of angst, any kind of desires. You're just kind of walking away, walking around in a bliss uh, because you have mastered your thoughts uh, that, they would say, would be heaven in their mind, but nothing after you die. So there's a lot of differences, right? Right next to it would be Hinduism. Hinduism doesn't also believe in the heaven that we think about. They don't have a, a personal God that you see and, and hear about. Uh, they have a vague God. It's kind of an invisible force. Uh, and then if you play your cards right, then the, the power of karma is going to show up in your afterlife. They are a big proponent of um, incarnation, that you can go up and down the caste system according to your behavior in your life and according to karma. Because if you're not a good person, then when you die, then you're going to be replaced, incarnated in something in a lower form. You might find yourself as a horse or something like that. And if you're a really good person, you might find yourself as an eagle somewhere. Uh, there's these religious principles, but they're all unique. All world religions as much as we think, hey, they're all just kind of have some things in common, they're, they're not totally in common. And there's some requirements and some exclusivity that are different. So why is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? We see that, that religions are, are different. But what gives Jesus the right to say that? What, what gives Christians the right to say, hey, how can you be the only way? the truth and the life. What, what are some evidence and some principles there? Well, I'm going to just kind of lean into mothers here today to answer this question in three ways. 
Maybe mothers, you could you help us. If someone asks you, hey, hey, mothers, what gives you the right to be a mother to your kids? What, what, what authority do you have to be a mother? Now, I'm not a mother, but I am a parent. And I think for some of you, say, you know, the, the number one reasons why I, I give authority uh, to, to set the standards in my house is because I created you. And because God created us, he gets the right to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Every mother here is like, yeah, I, I, I see that kid right there? That came out of my body. Nine months, right? I nurtured that, that kid, and I gave a, a hard birth to that kid, right? And I created you. I, I love the phrase that some mothers, I've heard some mothers use, you know, you know, a child, uh, I, I brought you into this world, and I know how to take you out of this world. Have you ever heard of that? That gives you the mother's authority. It's the same with God. God created us. He created this earth, heaven and earth, and he created mankind. He made a major investment in us just like your mothers did. You know, sometimes we think, well, we're God. Sometimes we, we, we can make the rules, and, and we think we know better, right? And mothers are like, you know what? Before you even knew who I was, I knew who you were. You wasn't even thinking about me when you were in that birth channel and coming out as a baby crying. You didn't even know what was going on, but I knew what was going on because I created you. And because I created you, I love you, and I can set the rules. Uh, if you ask mothers, do you have rules in your home? Do you have expectations for your kids? Absolutely. Why do you do that? Because you love them. You want them to, to experience the best life they have, and that means they're going to have to be responsible. Somewhere they're going to have to do their studies. Somewhere they're going to have to do some chores. Somewhere they're going to have to be uh, at home on time. Why? Because you love them, and you bring the rules. Would you say, oh, you just want to be a mean parent, don't you? You just set the rules and expectations and have some boundaries because you hate them. And you're so rigid. And you say, not at all, because I love them. I created them. I am mom, and I want the best for them. And because I have that authority as a mom and as a parent, I'm going to set the rules. It's just like God. Sometimes we want to just kind of make God of our own imagination. That he's just kind of this big ball of fuzzy, and I think he would think this, and I think he believes in this, and in my imagination, this is what I believe, uh, and so we need to just follow that, and whatever you want to believe, but Christians would say, no, this is what we believe. Uh, it's really not up to my opinion or my feelings, but what is the truth of God, and sometimes God sets the rules. Now, if you're an older um, a person, you might have remembered things called newspapers, there's a thing on newspapers, and you have columns. And there was a column, uh, Ann Landers uh, had a, a column people would write in there. And one time, uh, there was a, a, a female who wrote, and the title to Ann Landers was, I thank God for my mean mom. I thank God for my mean mom. And so in her essay to Ann Landers, she's like, you know, when I was a teenager, my mom was so mean, so restrictive, man. I didn't like her at all. She expected things from me, and she had rules and boundaries, and I think she was, she was the meanest person in the world, right? But as I got older in my later years, I started to appreciate why, why she pushed me and why there was boundaries and why there was restrictions because she loved me, and now... I have a successful life. I'm responsible. Things are going good. And it all started with my mom setting down the rules. This is the way it's going to happen in our house. 
like it or not, I love you, I created you, and I'm going to set the rules in your life. It's the same with God. I don't make the rules. You don't make the rules. God says, this is the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one's going to get to heaven. No one's going to get to God except they come through me. He has that authority because he is the alpha, the omega. Before we were thinking, before we ever went to college, before we existed, God existed. And he brought humanity and the world into life. Yes, he created it. Yes, he has the right to set the rules. But more than that, God and his son paid the price. Mothers know about paying the price. If you ask most mothers, say, would you take a bullet for your child? They'd say, absolutely. That's how much love I have for my kids. I'd do anything for my kids. And that's what God did for us. That he so loved us, as John said, that he gave his only son, his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Because he knew that his son would take the bullet. He knew his son would eventually be hung on a cross and go through excruciating pain for you and me. He would pay the price for us. That for whoever believes, not just intellectually, hey, I believe that Jesus was real, but repent and take Jesus into their life, they would not perish have eternal damnation, but they would have eternal life. He paid the price that we could have eternal life. And if you continue to read on, just look at the attitude of God. Look at the the approach to God. For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world. God's heart wouldn't say, man, I'm going to get you. I need to punish you. I need to condemn you. That wasn't God's heart. Just like a mother. No, for God, but in order to the world might be saved through him. The world saved through him. He would send himself. He would pay the high price because God knew that our nature was bent against him. Our nature was to be selfish. Our nature was to steal and and to hurt and and just do whatever our flesh wants and it would get us into troubles. And God says, no, I can come and save you. That we repent and replace that selfishness by my love, my spirit, my personality. And by the way, God so loved that he says, no, I want you to watch me for three years. I'm going to be in your world. I'm going to be God. I'm going to be human. And I'm going to immerse myself in your culture and in all the grind and all the rejection, all the pain and complications and hurts. I'm going to show you how to live because I want to model for you what the life-giving truths that our God, Father, can give. And a lot of times we ask ourselves, Why is humanity breaking down? Why is our world so broken? Why is so much hurt and crime and problems out there? It really goes back to the Genesis story that man has just taken upon himself to say, I don't need you. I'll find my own way. I'll do my own thing. Before you know it, there is a major clash. And people wonder, how are we going to fix this? Could it be that we really need God? I appreciate the meme I saw the other day when the person said, asked, do I really need Jesus to go to heaven these days? And the response was, bro, you need Jesus just to go to Walmart these days. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's rough out there. And so Jesus says, I've come to your world, this broken world, to help you. And I've given you a path to figure out why the world's even here and where humanity came from. When I was going to my secular college, um, I had to take the, the um, class physics. Anybody take physics in, in college, right? 
And so there was a big class, 200 people in there, and some brainiac professor, you know, he had his big screen and slides and stuff. And we talked about everything, uh, science and gravity and biology and zoology. And he came to the chapter that we, we were talking about the origins of the world, the, the, the universe. And so he started bring, bringing out his big brain and, and, and um, back carbon dating, the, the, how old the world was and fossils. And he's really just kind of preaching the evolution right and the more he started preaching the complexities of evolution that we start from dust and then some kind of fish reptile chimpanzees and humans right and and the more he started talking about the 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 complexities of the ecosystem to the to, to mammals and animals that there is a dna and there's these, these micro cells and there's chromosomes and x's and y's and all this has to line up and for the next uh, generation and people to be produced and the more he's talking i'm like man that is so complex right <laughs> all that stuff that happens in our our ecosystem to our food chain to our bodies that's just not, not by accident man there had to be a d- divine designer just to keep this thing rolling through the ages because one little thing out of sorts it all breaks down and we don't exist and i'm like yes this is exactly what my bible tells me You want to know where we're from? You want to know why we're here? You want to know your purpose in life? It all starts from the creation that God so loved us. He says, I'm going to give you life. And I want you to live in such a a functional way, a healthy way, right, that I designed you to do that. And some of the answers that you have be found right here in my word that helps us through life. And so a lot of times, if we're going to say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come from the Father. we got to have confidence. Are we for sure with that? Jesus said this. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And my friends, I want to just share with you that we can have confidence in the truth. We don't have to be uh, dogmatic. We don't have to be holier than thou. But we can have a truth that our Jesus is real. Because the evidence is there from the manuscripts to the prophecies, from the archaeology, from the historical evidence of Jesus raising from the dead to the many transformed lives who testify to that, that our Christ is real. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. But so many times we don't want to hear that. So many times we don't want to carry that. And can't we all just have different thoughts and different religions and, and, and different systems to get to, to God? It's so tempting to kind of fall into that, that trap of moral relativism. It's kind of like when we were up on that mountain. We fell into that trap and said, well, they all kind of look the same. They all kind of have two tracks. They're all kind of going north. Surely they all line up to Ore, and somehow we'll get to God in this heaven on earth. The Apostle Paul would tell the followers of Christ in the Bible in many different places to be cautious about falling into that trap that all paths lead to the same God. In fact, one example is in Colossians chapter 2, 8, when he says, when he says see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. My friends, there's a lot of human tradition out there, a lot of smart people, a lot of good people, but it's all in humanity. 
the humanistic approach, that we don't need a transcendent God, that we can figure out our own self. We don't need God. This, this is an elementary spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ Jesus. You have to be careful of not falling into that. Well, somehow I hope that this has kind of helped you get a little bit of confidence and answer that question, why is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? Now, what do we do about that? If that is true and we believe that, then what do we do and how do we interact with people who don't have that same value or same convictions in their life? Maybe they, they believe in another religion and another type of God. Well, can I offer you these two words? We brought it up last week with grace and truth. With grace and truth in a very uh, postmodern humanistic society, we as Christians need to have an attitude of grace and also truth. Now, I'm thankful that I live in America, and one of the best things about America is that we have religious liberty. We have rights that we can freely worship like we're doing today. The government's not going to tell us you can't do that, and so because of our freedom and uh, the makeup of our country, many different religions are being practiced today in America, especially in Minneapolis and Minnesota. There's all kinds of different cultures and different uh, beliefs and, and, and sects, and they can they can worship, and we live right next to them. We, we work with them. We know them in our schools, in our, in our community, and God is asking us to have grace and truth with them, to, to love them. Now, can I make it clear that God is not calling us to judge them? We are not their judge. God is their judge. However, God is calling us to be ambassadors of the truth that we know, the light that we know. So if we ever get a chance to share that the, how we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that we can share from, from science evidence to our personal um, uh, faith stories that we can share about the love of God. But this tension in this question Maybe you have question right now, uh, tension right now about, do I really want to hone down and say to myself and say to my friends that I believe Jesus Christ is the way and the only truth and the only life? Can I say to myself, man, uh, uh, he is the only way to heaven? Sometimes it comes down to a choice. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that every human would have to uh, wrestle with that. Who, what's going to be true? In his famous Sermon on the Mount, he said this to all the multitudes there. Enter in through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Enter through the narrow gate. Man, that's tough for us to say, man, our theology our religion, our values is through the narrow gate. And Jesus knew this. This is what he said. Oh, the wide is the gate. Oh, many people are on the big path. Everybody's like, hey, man, I just believe whatever I want to believe. And I'm good. Are you good? We're all good, right? That's the wide. And Jesus says, man, there's going to be a problem. You're going to find that there's destruction. Just like Tara and I learned that all the paths didn't lead the same way to Ore, Colorado, right? But he says... If you choose the small gate and the narrow, and only a few are on that, you're going to find life. And the word he used for life, the Greek word is zoe. And that is a life that is fulfilling. That is a life that is free from sin. 
that it's a life that we replace ourselves and we invite Jesus Christ and his love and his personality to flow within us, that that life, we can be fully alive, we can be vigorous. It's the best product there is in the world. This is why I've given my life to it. Because when, you're not, when you don't have tension between you and God and there is a wholeness in your heart, it's the best feeling, it's the best way. doesn't mean that our life is perfect. doesn't mean we don't get sad or tempted at a hard days. Absolutely. But now, because of Jesus Christ, the Zoe life, we have identity in Christ Jesus. I got nothing to fear. My daddy is God the Father. I got power. I got purpose. I got love. I can forgive. I can heal. I can be whole. This is the Zoe life. It's only a few will find that. But it's going to have to go through the narrow gate, the narrow road. Now, before you kind of brush off this whole notion about the narrow the small gate, we bristle at that. I don't know if I want to restrict myself and my religion and my philosophies and even my life. Can I submit this to you? That your best life is found on the narrow road. Your best life is found on the narrow road. And this is how I know this. Because in other places in life, it's on the narrow road, the small gate, that the Zoe life shows up. For instance, you take physically. You know, how many are willing to go to the narrow gate to restrict our diet, go to the gym and advance uh, our, our physique. Not many people. But if you are willing to go through the narrow gate of restricting, right, and to work out and to run whatever, before you know it, you're finding physical health. There's some fitness there. While everybody else is laying around, not going to the gym, not running, eating donuts, ice cream, steaks, whatever they want, right? And they're like, man, I feel lousy, right? Because they're on the broad road. But those who are willing to go on the narrow road, they find some life. They found some benefit on the narrow road. You think professionally. Professionally. Some people are very successful. You look at the successful people, a lot of times they said, I'm not going on the broad road. I'm just going to be playing around. I don't, go to, I don't educate myself. I don't hard work. I'll just sit around. They usually are not successful. It's the ones who say, no, I'm willing to pay the price, restrict my life. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to work overtime. I'm going to study and I'm going to find the blessing there. I'll never forget in, in college, I had this good friend Chip, and we were hanging out together. And one day he says, he says, Jim, I can't, I can't hang out with you on weekends anymore. I was like, well, what's up? He says, well, you know I'm studying to be a, a medical doctor, an MD. And now I'm in that, in that, in that, that path to be MD. And the, the, the amount of study to be a, a physician is so overwhelming I have to pass these tests. And I realized that I got to put in so much study that I got to release my playtime on, on weekends. And I, I got just for a whole year, I got to just like just survive and study. And I thought, wow, what a drag, right? Uh, man, okay, whatever. You study for a year, whatever. Well, where's he at these days, right? I can guarantee you he's living in a much bigger house than I am. I can guarantee you he's in a much bigger salary than I am. Why? Because he was willing to find his best life through the narrow gate. And only a few will say professionally, I'm willing to do that. We see this financially. Everyone wants to be on the broad gate. Man, I'm just going to spend whatever I feel, whatever's easy, right? But I'm broke. It's a few that said, oh, no. I'm willing to step into the small way. I'm willing to restrict my spending. Really? I'm willing to save. Well, that's boring. I'm willing to invest. Well, you never know. And eventually those people find the good life. There is some, some success and some financial benefit. It's the same way religiously. See, God wants you to see 
that the best life, religiously, spiritually, in so many different ways, is found on the narrow road. And so many times it's easier just to go by our feelings and whatever is the, the, the quickest gratification. But God says if you want the Zoe life, it's going to come through your commitments, not your feelings. It's not going to come from your, your family members or your peers or whatever culture or Oprah, whatever. It's going to come by the truth of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that means commitment. And sometimes you're the only one on the road while everyone else is following different things. And sometimes it comes to a choice. Jesus again would say this. And here was his promise out of Matthew 16. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, step in that narrow gate for me, you will find the Zoe life. You will eventually get to heaven and there will be such a reward in heaven where the streets of gold, where angels are praised. There is no more sorrow. There is no more death. There's no more complications and hurt and, and damage. It is, is, it is a paradise, as Jesus said, but it's going to take the narrow road. It's going to take belief that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, my friends, I want to encourage you to do two things. Before we leave today, two things. Number one, choose the narrow road. You might have been a, a Jesus fan. You, you might say, I'm, I'm a Christian. But you've been kind of like, I don't know if Jesus is the only way. There's some good-hearted other religious people. And today, maybe through this message, you've had to make that choice or making that choice. Do I really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? That might be some painful things. And say, yeah, I, I, I can't just be pluralistic in my viewpoints are kind of open. It's Jesus. Choose that narrow way. Sometimes we may need some more proof or we might need some more evidence. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be asking that question. Does, is science compatible with Christianity? Some of you might need to do your own research and, and, and get on your version app and, and type in there, search apologetics. There's other ministries out there from Stand the Reason to cross-examine that you can research yourself and, and learn and say, oh, I have confidence, and I'm going to choose Jesus is the only way on the narrow road. And second, my friends, I want to I encourage you to help others find the narrow road. Uh, find, help people say, yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, again, we don't have to be judgmental. We don't have to be dogmatic. We can be loving like Christ did and not compromise, say, yeah, I believe, and this is the reason why. I've done the research myself. I, I got a pastor friend that, that is trying to reach people with different worldviews and different religions. He says, I got a mail carrier that comes to my house, and he's a, a wonderful Hindu man. And we have this this friendship, and I really, he says, I kind of have an agenda. I would like the opportunity to share uh, my religious views about Jesus Christ with this Hindu man. But I can't just do that and just just want to walk up to him. I got to build that relationship. I got to listen to about I got to listen about his religion and his values and his convictions, so I can share my convictions, and maybe he would open up and see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, on that alpine trail, we learn really quick that all paths don't lead to Oray, Colorado. And it got sketchy, and there were some big problems. But we eventually made it down the mountain and got to that, that town. And we learned that lesson. 
But it was an adventure. In fact, two years later, I took my oldest son, Matt, and I said, Matt, we got to go up to Durango, and we're going to do that Jeep trail. But this time, we're going to stay on the right path. This time, we're going to follow that map and make sure to stay on the narrow path. And we had a great time. See, this is the heart for Jesus Christ for you, that he wants you to make it to heaven. And there are so many voices coming after you. There's so many friends, professors, and thoughts out there that say, no, don't. Don't listen to that guy. Don't listen to Jesus. That's out of date. It's too restrictive. It's actually kind of exclusive, right? That's mean. Don't listen to that. She said, man, if you want to find your life, it's going to mean that you're going to have to go through the narrow gate. And your best life, my friends, is on the narrow path in many different areas. Choose Jesus Choose him, and we're going to see each other on the other side to heaven. Why don't you stand, and I'll pray us out. Gracious God, we thank you for this gathering today. We thank you for your words. And sometimes your, your words were to, to, to kind of push us back. Some of them were provocative. Um, and this statement that you made, God, was the truth. We're so thankful, God, that you backed it up by not only your words, but your body, your life, that you gave your life on that cross and you paid a high price. And Father, I pray that we would get more clear, that we would just dedicate our life to go through the narrow gate, to be on the narrow road and to embrace and receive and experience the Zoe life, God, a true full life in you. Now, as we go out into our world today, may we celebrate our mothers. We're remembering mothers today. Think about mothers are not with us, but they are receiving and experiencing the eternal reward, the heaven that you talked about. May they have an awesome day in heaven. And one day, may we see them. But in the meantime, we're going to be your ambassadors to love you with all our hearts. Help us now as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thanks for viewing. Thanks for worshiping with us today.